Last month's county court ruling in Fairhurst v Woodard, a nuisance and breach of privacy claim between neighbours over use of a ring doorbell camera, received widespread media attention. With such home security measures becoming ever more popular, on the latest episode of On The Case, I am joined by partner Michael Stacey and associate Pauline Lamb, both from Russell Cook, to discuss the issues raised by the decision in Fairhurst and what property owners can do about them. It's great to speak to you, Michael and Pauline. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So first of all, please, can you just sort of talk us through the background facts of Fairhurst v Woodard that led to this dispute? Yes, I'd be happy to. The dispute relates to the installation and use of four home security cameras by the defendant, Mr Woodard, and how that interfered with the rights of his neighbour, the claimant, Dr Fairhurst. The claimants and the defendants are owners of houses in two separate terraces in a residential area. The claimant's property is an end of terrace house, Next to her house is a driveway, and on the other side of this driveway is another row of terrace houses. The defendant's house is adjacent to the house at the end of the second terrace, so the claimant and the defendant's respective houses are separated by a driveway and another end of terrace house. Both the claimant and the defendant have access to this driveway that is situated between their respective terraces. The driveway runs from the road into a private car park at the back of the terraces. Both the claimant and the defendant's rear gardens back onto this car park. The claimant owns two car parking spaces located immediately behind her garden boundary. The defendant owns one space behind his garden wall, and he rents the adjacent space from his other neighbour. The defendant also keeps a shed in his garden, which backs onto the wall. The defendant had installed four surveillance cameras at a number of locations at various times. On his garden shed, he mounted a video and audio surveillance camera pointed towards his parking spaces manufactured by Ring. The camera is a high-definition motion-activated video security camera with wide-angle lens, built-in floodlight, infrared night vision, built-in microphone and speakers. It has a field of vision of 140 degrees horizontal. Next to his front door, the defendants installed a combined doorbell, video and audio system, also manufactured by Ring, pointed in the direction of the road opposite his front door. This device is also a high-definition motion-activated video security camera and could be activated by motion or by the pressing of the doorbell. It also came with wide-angle lens, infrared night vision, built-in microphone and speakers. Its field of vision is wider than the shed camera, at 155 degrees horizontal. On the driveway, the defendant installed another ring floodlight camera attached to another neighbour's sidewall, pointing down the driveway that leads towards the car park. Lastly, he placed the camera inside the front windowsill of his property, pointing towards the road. The manufacturer's information examined during the trial states that both the ring floodlight camera and the ring doorbell camera can send motion activator alerts in the form of a 30 second video clip to a pre-designated device such as a mobile phone and can provide both video and audio feeds on demand. There were some factual disputes concerning the timescale of the defendant's installation of some of these devices, which the judge made some findings of fact. And I think it's useful to go through this. The claimant claimed that she first became aware of the defendant's surveillance camera on his garden shed and his front door in the spring of 2018 when she visited his property. The claimant's evidence was that during this visit, 
the defendant had told her that he could watch footage from the shed camera at any time and that he would receive alerts on his mobile phone and smartwatch when movement was detected. He also assured her that the shed camera only allowed him to view the area of the car park immediately around his car and van. The defendant claimed that the shed and front door cameras were not installed until a year later in 2019, when he started to look into setting a security system to protect his home and new car. The judge found that on the balance of probabilities, both the shed and the front door cameras were installed by the time the claimant visited the defendant's property in 2018. The following year, in the April of 2019, the defendant installed another two cameras following an attempted theft of his car, one on a neighbor's wall in the driveway and another inside his property on the windowsill at the front. He also replaced the shed camera with the same model as the one that was taken during the attempt at theft. The other elements of the dispute between the parties relate to events covering a five-day period following the defendant's installation of the replacement shed camera and the driveway camera. The claimant said she noticed the driveway camera for the first time in April of 2019 when she came home with a friend. She was informed by one of her other neighbours that the defendant had installed the driveway camera because a gang of men had tried to steal his car and took his shared camera. The claimant also said this neighbour had described to her the footage from the driveway camera and that it included the claimant's garden wall, side gate and foliage in her garden. The neighbour also told the claimant that the defendant's partner had set up a neighbourhood watch WhatsApp group with other neighbours to share information, including footage from the defendant's cameras. The claimant then asked to discuss the camera with the defendant and was told that the driveway camera was a dummy camera with a functioning floodlight as a deterrent. The judge found that, on the balance of probabilities, the driveway camera as well as the windowsill camera were fully operational at all material times. What followed was a series of attempts by the claimant to ascertain from the defendant the scope of his camera's coverage and various statements made by him, which the judge later found to be false. The defendant also sent still images of the claimant and her friend both to her and other neighbours, claiming that these were suspicious activities of unknown persons. A couple of heated telephone conversations took place between the parties. The claimant claimed that when she tried to explain her concerns, the defendant became obstructive and unwilling to listen to her or provide her with information on the cameras. He also told her that he would set up more cameras, including concealed cameras. The claimant said she felt unsafe staying in her own home because of the extent of surveillance the defendant had implied he had in place. She also felt unsafe because of his escalating hostility. The claimant then left home and hasn't returned to reside at her property since. The defendant eventually removed the driveway camera and the windowsill camera in November of 2019 before proceedings were commenced. Subsequently, the claimant issued proceedings for claims in harassment, nuisance and breach of the Data Protection Act. So it, it, it sounds like um, this dispute somewhat spiralled out of control in the way that that uh, disputes between neighbours often do. So you've you've mentioned those um, claims that, uh, that that the claimant brought, um, and and how how did the, how were those arguments advanced in in uh, in in practice at the trial? Well, the claimant's case was that the defendant had consistently failed to be 
open and honest with her about the cameras uh, that he'd unnecessarily and unjustifiably invaded her privacy by the use of the cameras and that he'd intimidated her when she challenged him about his use of the cameras. And the claimant claimed that these actions amounted to private nuisance. Uh, secondly, a course of conduct designed to harass her in breach of the Protection from Harassment Act 1997. And thirdly, a breach of the Data Protection Act and the UK General Data Protection Regulation. So in relation to data protection specifically, um, she pleaded that the images and audio files of her were personal data within the meaning of Article 4.1 of GDPR, uh, that, that the file's transmission to the defendant's phone or other devices and his retention of these images and audio files and their onward transmission were processing of personal data within the meaning of Article 4.2 of GDPR, that the defendant was at all material times a data controller within the meaning of Article 4.3 of the GDPR and that uh, the defendant must therefore comply with the principles set out in Article 5.1 of GDPR. The claimant also claimed that the defendant's actions had caused such distress that she had to leave her home at the end of April 2019 and has, has not been able to reside there since. So she sought damages and an injunction against the defendant, mandating him to remove the ring doorbell next to his front door and the shed camera that pointed towards the car park and also uh, forbid him from installing further surveillance cameras. So Judge Clark at Oxford County Court had uh, plenty to deal with in the case. Um, so how did she deal with those arguments and, and what order did she make in the end? On the harassment claim, the judge found that the defendant had engaged in a course of conduct amounting to harassment. She found that on several occasions, the defendant had caused the claimant alarm and distress which would fall within the concept of harassment. Key examples of these are when the defendant had told the claimant falsely that he had sent her images to the police as an unknown suspicious person, the defendant's threat during the telephone call and subsequent conversation with her friend that he would put up more cameras, including concealed cameras. The judge also took into account other findings that formed part of the defendant's course of conduct, including his lies that the driveway and windowsill cameras were non-operational. Taking into account all of these behaviours, the judge was satisfied that the defendant's conduct had crossed the boundary between that which is unattractive and even unreasonable and that which is oppressive and unacceptable. The judge was satisfied that a reasonable person would consider the defendant's conduct to amount to harassment. Lastly, the judge was unpersuaded by the defendant's argument that his conduct was reasonable or was for the purposes of preventing detecting crime. Therefore, the judge found that the claim in harassment succeeded, entitling the claimant to damages for distress. On nuisance, the claimant made two broad claims. On nuisance caused by the loss of privacy, the judge found that she was bound by the Court of Appeal decision in Fern and others and the Board of Trustees of the Tate Gallery. This decision rules that mere overlooking from one property to another is not capable of giving rise to a cause of news action in private nuisance. Therefore, this part of the nuisance claim could not succeed. Regarding the claim in nuisance caused by the light from the driveway camera, the judge found that as the properties were in a town and not in the countryside, 
nighttime lights are a feature. Therefore, the light from the driveway camera was not an undue interference with the claimant's use or enjoyment of her property. It was not reasonably foreseeable by the defendant that the claimant would leave her property and live somewhere else because of this. For all these reasons, the judge found that the claim in nuisance failed. I'm going to deal with the findings on the Data Protection Act claim. So there the judge was satisfied that the defendant was a data controller for the purposes of the relevant regulations because he had captured data outside the boundary of his property. She did not believe on the balance of probabilities that he'd been told by the Information Commissioner's Office at the beginning of 2019 that he could not register to be a data controller on the basis that his property was a residential dwelling. So the question was whether he had processed such personal data lawfully and in accordance with the principles set out in the GDPR. Now, the most relevant principles to the facts were, firstly, that personal data must be processed lawfully, fairly, and in a transparent manner. Secondly, that the data must be collected for specified, explicit, and legitimate purposes, and not further processed in a manner which is incompatible with these purposes. And thirdly, that the data collected must be relevant and limited to what is necessary in relation to the purposes for which the data is processed. The judge found that as she had made extensive findings that the defendant had actively misled the claimant about how and whether the cameras operated and what they captured, she was satisfied that the defendant had breached these principles. In particular, she found that the defendant could not be said to have processed the claimant's personal data fairly or in a transparent manner. He'd not collected the data for a specified or explicit purpose, but sought to mislead the claimant. For example, he told her that the shed camera was focused only on his parking spaces and that the driveway camera was not operational. The judge found that the shed camera had a much wider field of vision and captured the claimant as she drove in and out of the car park. As mentioned earlier, she also found that the driveway camera was operational and not a dummy. The judge's findings that the defendant was collecting data outside of the boundaries of his property meant that he had to satisfy the court that it was necessary to process the data for the purposes of his legitimate interests. That's Article 6.1.F of GDPR. The defendant submitted that all his data collection and processing was necessary for the purposes of crime prevention at his property and in the car park. The claimant claimed that her right to privacy in and around her home overrode that purpose. So the judge took each camera in turn. In relation to the front door camera, the judge found that the defendant's legitimate interest in protecting his home was not overridden by the claimant's right to privacy because any capture of video images of the claimant as she walked past on the public street would only be incidental. However, the judge did find that the processing of the audio of this camera was problematic. In relation to the driveway camera, the judge considered that the defendant had failed to satisfy her that it was necessary to train his camera on the claimant's property, including her side gate, her garden and her, and her parking spaces even for the purposes of crime prevention. Therefore, his interest to prevent crime was overridden by the claimant's right to privacy in her own home and his processing of the claimant's personal data by means of the driveway camera was not therefore lawful. In relation to audio recording, 
collected by the shed driveway and front door cameras, the judge considered the principle that the personal data collected should be adequate, relevant and limited to what is necessary in relation to the purposes for which the data is processed. The judge found that the audio function could not be disabled when the cameras were activated. The judge also found that the audio capture range of the cameras was well beyond the video capture range and the audio would not have been necessary to achieve the purpose of preventing crime. The extent of the range meant that personal data may be captured from people who are not even aware that the device was there or that they would record and process data from such a distance away. On that basis, the judge considered that the defendant's processing of the audio data was not lawful. The judge was therefore satisfied that the claimant's claim that the defendant had breached the provisions of the Data Protection Act and UK GDPR succeeded. She was entitled to compensation and orders preventing the defendant from continuing to breach her rights in the same or a similar manner in the future. It seems from everything you've said that this is quite an extreme type of dispute over cameras of this kind. And this is, of course, a county court decision, but but it has received a lot of publicity. So how significant um, do you think the implications are of this decision for private landowners who are simply looking to protect their properties with these kinds of devices? Well, I think the decision highlights the continuing uncertainty about the privacy implications of domestic video doorbells and CCTV. That technology has become increasingly affordable and widely used in recent years. Uh, And so I think in that sense, it does have wide implications. Mm. One interesting feature of the decision is that the defendant was held to be a data controller for the purposes of the Data Protection Act and the UK GDPR in relation to a domestic CCTV installation, uh, which was for his own private use. And that wasn't disputed uh, in the case by his counsel. Ordinarily, data protection law applies to businesses and other organisations, but not to private individuals who process personal data for purely personal or household reasons. In 2014, the European Court of Justice made a preliminary ruling about the scope of the household exception. In the case of Rynes and the Czech Office for Personal Data Protection, the court decided that the exemption should be narrowly construed to apply to the processing of personal data carried out in the purely personal or household setting of the person processing the data. To the extent that video surveillance covers even partially a public space and is accordingly directed outwards from the private setting of the person processing the data, it can't be regarded as an activity which is a purely personal or household activity for the purposes of the exemption. Now, the Information Commissioner's Office here in the UK has issued guidance for domestic CCTV systems based on this decision. And the effect of that is that if the device captures data from areas outside of the boundary of the home, then GDPR and the Data Protection Act will apply and the person operating the equipment needs to comply with the requirements. I think this will come as a surprise to many people because the obligations on a data controller operating CCTV are significant. For example, these include displaying a sign warning that recordings taking place, keeping records of how and why you're capturing the images, ensuring that the data captured is no more than is necessary to achieve your purposes in using the system, 
ensuring the security of the footage you capture, only keeping the footage for as long as it's needed, regularly deleting it, ensuring that the equipment's not misused, responding to any data subject access requests received, uh, deleting footage when requested by an individual data subject, and considering objections raised by individuals whose images are captured to the continued operation of the system. Now, I would suspect that the vast majority of domestic video doorbell users have got no idea that they're subject to these requirements. And in practice, many are likely to be in breach. Unless they live in a house set back from the road with a large front garden, in practice, most users of video doorbells are likely to capture images which include an area outside of their property boundary. So while I agree that the privacy of others should obviously be respected, it's not clear to me that subjecting private individuals to data protection law that's really designed for businesses and organisations is a proportionate or justified approach, particularly given the, given the growing prevalence of this technology. So I think the government could helpfully legislate to clarify the position. And following on from what Michael has said, until we have further clarity, private landowners are well advised to review the ICO guidance when they make plans to install these kinds of security devices. Leaseholders should also consider whether the location where they plan to install the device would fall within or outside of the demise premises, whether the landlord or the freeholder's consent would be required, or if the installation may constitute a trespass if location falls outside of the property as described in the lease. Landowners should consider the neighbour's right to privacy and how the device would impact them. Of course, each case would turn on its own facts. However, this decision shows that the extent of the range of video and audio capture is a relevant factor. It is also notable that the judge had found the extent of the audio capture in this case more problematic and detrimental than the video data. Landowners should therefore check the camera angle carefully when it's set up and consider whether audio capture is necessary. Many of the latest devices now offer this option, but it doesn't mean that it needs to be used. And some devices may also enable adjustment of the sensitivity of the audio recording function. The decision also emphasized the importance of reasonable conduct, that the person installing the system should be open and transparent with the neighbors about the operation and scope of the surveillance. So these are the factors that a private landowner should take into consideration we're looking to protect their properties with similar surveillance systems. It, it, it sounds like with, with all these responsibilities that are under the letter of the law, the, these types of doorbells may well be more trouble than they're worth. But um, it is said that there are over 100,000 owners of uh, the Ring doorbell in particular. Uh, so do you foresee um, this case giving rise to more claims? Well, the decision certainly received a lot of publicity. <laughs> and I think the rise of these relatively affordable home surveillance technologies um, do suggest that the courts are likely to be dealing with more, certainly more neighbour disputes involving this element in the future. Um, it is, of course, a county court decision, so it's not binding on other courts. And this was an unusual case uh, involving an unusually large number of cam cameras with audio recording facilities. So there are lots of fact specific points um, in the context of a wider dispute between the parties. I would hope for most property owners, as long as they use their devices carefully and engage their neighbours in dialogue, uh, that problems won't 
arise. But I think uh, it, it may be a feature where there's already a neighbour dispute brewing uh, that this kind of argument will be brought in. Yeah, as we've mentioned earlier, that, that type of dispute, you know, boundary disputes and, and things like that can uh, get very bitter and very entrenched. And, and it's not unusual for such disputes to to find their way to the higher courts. So do, do you what what do you think the prospects are of an appeal in this case? Well, I think it's interesting that the claimants council reserved the position on the nuisance claim for loss of privacy. Uh, and indicated that the Court of Appeal decision that was mentioned earlier, Fern, and the Board of Trustees of the Tate Gallery uh, was incorrectly decided. So that's the decision that itself is currently under appeal, and that's due to be heard in December this year. Um, given the, the overall success that the claimant had in this claim, I think an appeal on this one element is probably unlikely. It's also fair to say that the, the judge has carefully laid out her findings of facts and law in the judgments. However, while she's expressed serious concerns on the likely range of the camera's capture of audio data, which was a factor in her decision to find the defendant in breach of the Data Protection Act, there was no expert evidence provided at trial on this issue. The audio capture ranges mentioned were based on experiments carried out by the claimant's friend uh, and solicitor. So it remains to be seen whether this might be an issue challenged in the higher courts. While the outcome in relation to data protection may seem surprising, given the European court decision in Reines to which I referred earlier, I think it's difficult to see the judge was incorrect as a matter of law to hold that the defendant was a data controller. Many of our listeners will have their focus more on commercial premises. So do different considerations apply uh, when it comes to this kind of video surveillance? Although this decision involves private individuals, owners and occupiers of commercial premises should clearly consider their obligations and risks when installing video surveillance systems. The Protection from Harassment Act has been held to apply to body corporates in a number of cases where companies use unwarranted tactics in debt collection, most notably in a Court of Appeal decision in Ferguson and British Gas. Although that was an appeal against a failed application to strike out and the case has since settled, it remains important for companies to review the procedures and code of conduct. Any businesses taking similar approach as the defendant when responding to concerns may be open to claims for infringement of the Protection from Harassment Act. And on the data protection side, I think businesses will clearly be data controllers in respect of any CCTV or video surveillance cameras they operate. So they should certainly ensure that they follow the ICO guidance. So that would include, for example, considering what areas the cameras should capture, uh, how to position the cameras to avoid intruding on the property of others or shared and public spaces whether to record the images or whether to simply have a live feed. Um, if the system has an audio recording facility, consider whether that use is justifiable in the particular circumstances or whether the audio feature should be disabled. They can also carry out an assessment to address whether the CCTV or video surveillance cameras create privacy risks and document those risks and, and, and the actions to mitigate them. Uh, ensure that they don't keep the data for longer than necessary and display a sign notifying users of the premises 
that CCTV is operating and who's responsible for it. It sounds like uh, there's plenty uh, to be thinking about for both residential and commercial uh, landowners. Thank you, uh, both of you, for explaining the decision in Fairhurst v Woodhard so clearly and thoroughly. Uh, you have been listening to On the Case from EG.